Happy Monday, everyone. This is episode 33 of Bet to Win. I'm Claudia Bellafato. He is Joe Fan. Joe, we've got a packed show. We're going to recap week 18. We have a awesome guest, Mattress Mac. And we're going to talk college football. We're going to talk playoff look-aheads. And there's so much more I want to talk about because there's so much going on right now. It was the best week 18 in the history of the NFL. <laughs> it was the first good one. week 18 in the history of the NFL. But it was so good that I don't know if it's going to be topped for quite some time. The dominoes that fell early, the madness in the afternoon, and then all culminating with the cherry on top of the Raiders and Chargers game. We're going to get to it all. We've got victory laps to take. We've got L's to hold. Today was expensive for your boy with, with futures. Some cashing, many not. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Lots to discuss. Yeah, it was an interesting weekend for me to size weren't great, but I had actually all of my props hit. So I went clean sweep on props. Unfortunately, I didn't give a ton of them out yesterday, uh, last week, but I had Gronk. We talked about incentives last week. Joe and I both, he had digs. I had Gronk uh, catches and receiving yards. So that both hit Arizona. That video of Brady being like, you're not taking me out of the game yeah. until Gronk gets his money. And then once he did, was I, awesome. I was like, that's all I needed. Yep. So that all went according to plan. My L's, thanks to Arizona, they screwed me. It went from me having a really good day because I had them ATS and also in a teaser uh, with the Cowboys and Bucks, so it would have hit beautifully. And then Arizona lost to the Seahawks, 38-30. So I think I'm officially done betting them because every week I say, I can't trust them. I don't know what to expect from Kyler Murray. And then I continue to bet them because I also feel that way about so many teams right now, and that is my issue. And that's why week 18 was so hard to handicap. It was the weekend of me expecting teams that had nothing to play for to play like they had nothing to play for. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't the case at all. Uh, my Opposite, teaser really. wasn't close to hitting. I only hit one of the three legs, and that was San Francisco. We'll get to that game. Um, but one of the games we're not going to talk about, Tennessee covering four. They had that all game long. They did end up... No, they didn't get up four. They only won by, they only won by three. They... Up multiple scores. I will make a vow in 2022 to never bet against Davis Mills again. That guy had such an impressive stretch to close the season and fighting back in that game when they were at one point down 11, you think, okay, that's it. It's 21-7 or 21. It was 21-0 Titans. And then ends up being a three-point game. That would have been heartbreak had Kansas City been able to cover four, which gets me to a quick point I want to make about some cowardly head coaches on teams that had nothing to play for. If you're Vic Fangio, you got to score a touchdown. You're down seven points. And they kick a field goal? Now, I'm devastated because, you know, that leg pushed, I guess, with what I got it. But if you got it on Sunday, it was at four and a half or even five because that line moved from 10 to 10 and a half or 11. You got to score a touchdown regardless. Why are you kicking a field goal? And then Joe Judge on Sunday one-ups him with a QB sneak on like third and eight from the five-yard line. What? Vic Fangio lost his job less than 24 hours after kicking that field goal. You know your job is on the line and you're on your way out the door. I can't, for the life of me, wrap my head around the thought process of not going down swinging. And then Joe Judge does that. Joe Mara watched this game. 
that was like 20% full of capacity in terms of fans. And you watched your head coach sign off on a QB sneak from your own five-yard line. I'm like third and eight. And you said, you know what? As Josina Anderson reported on Monday morning, we're going to bring that guy back. Joe Judge, we're running it back in 2022. I feel Giants fans all over the place are sitting around waiting for Ashton Kutcher to come out and let them know that they've been uh, punked. And that is just not apparently the case. Lots of coach firings. Mike Zimmer out in Minnesota. Vic Fangio out in uh, in Denver. Brian Flores, a shocking one in Miami after back-to-back winning seasons. The turnaround they had this year, very impressive. Also, Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace gone in Chicago. It's going to be a clean slate there. And David Gettleman riding off from the sunset, retiring again. So says Josina Anderson, but Joe Judge sticking around for the life of me. I can't understand it. Yeah. And imagine seeing that and knowing that and Flores on the, you know, now without a job after winning eight out of the last nine to end the season and sweeping the Patriots. It's like, and honestly, I'm curious quickly before we go on to week 18, what is the reasoning there? It's a. What? Stephen Ross noted relationships and friction that was, you know, this power struggle that existed between him and Chris Greer. But I don't understand why well, I do understand because Chris Greer has 20 plus years in the organization. And that's where the, the, the allegiance lies as irrational as it may be. The NFL is still largely an old, an old boys club where it's, you know, you look out for your, your guys and it doesn't really necessarily how, how bad you are at your job somebody's going to take care of you. And this is the case here with Chris Greer, who took two over Justin Herbert, made a number of egregious decisions uh, along uh, the offensive line. Kevin Clark of The Ringer, one of the best follows on Twitter, made a great point. If you're firing at your head coach and he immediately becomes the best candidate among candidates for these, uh, these, uh, these now job openings, you probably should have kept him and found a way to make it work. Probably, because you're going to see him go off to another team that needs him and probably do wildly successful with how he ended. Brian Flores will not be a free agent long. Yep, I agree. Before we break down the Week 18 games, where, as you said, it was a very exciting week, I want to lay out the playoff picture right now, and then we'll kind of get into how we got there. So we got the Titans and Packers on a bye. We've got the Raiders against the Bengals. Bengals laying six and a half as of right now. Patriots, Bills, Bills laying four and a half. Those are the Saturday games. Sunday, you got Eagles, Bucks, Bucks laying nine, Cowboys laying three against the Niners, Chiefs laying 13 against the Steelers, and the Rams laying four and a half against the Cardinals. That is the Monday game. The rest were the Sunday games. When I look at this, and this is how I feel from week to week, there's more teams that I add to my list of, I don't want to touch this team. I don't trust this team. But that has happened with so many that I've run out of teams to say that about. And this week, I didn't do well on sides and I had all favorites. So first looking at this, especially with, you know, when you're laying 13 with the Chiefs, I automatically want to take the points or maybe tease the points with the Steelers. But then again, like, are the Steelers really good enough to cover that against the Chiefs? That's one that really stands out to me. I don't know what to do with the Cowboys. The Niners are looking so much better than I thought they were this season. The Bucks maybe is a, but again, nine points is a lot for the Eagles. It's tough. It is really tough at this point to, to pick sides. Yeah. When looking at teaser sides, to me, it makes sense with every underdog because you're hitting key numbers pretty much across the board, except yeah. for the Steelers. I refuse to put a single dollar on the Steelers <laughs> because they are fraudulent. And somehow of all the 
the futures I didn't hit, including Chargers over eight and a half wins, which is just baffling that they're out of the playoffs. We'll get there. The Steelers, we'll get there. they hit eight, eight and a half. Shockingly, despite every game they play, just looking absolutely heinous. Uh, that one cashed, um, but they're just not a good football team. So really, my, my one big takeaway beyond just liking teasing dogs is I see that Raiders-Bengals game, and I, I said I would go down with the ship as any good captain does in terms of, I, I will not bet on the Raiders. I'm going to continue to fade them. And if they beat my beloved Bengals, and yes, oh. they are my beloved Bengals because I've been on that bandwagon for all of two months. I was going to say, I've had them since the beginning of the year. I said I was so hot on Joey B and the Bengals. But okay, continue. We could be both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you get to only have them. Well, you said they're your team. So I'm just saying. Our team? Okay, our team. You getting sensitive about this right now? Yeah, a little bit. Why? <laughs> That's joking. weird. I'm joking. Don't get sensitive. We can share right, the bandwagon. Fine, There's fine. room on the bandwagon for both of us here on Bet to Win. Okay, that works. I'm going to be devastated if the Raiders beat them this weekend. Yeah. And it's the first game on the slate. I just want the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl. That's all I want in this playoff season. And I'm going to make that bet accordingly. But... That's my initial takeaway from the, the the wild card weekend slate. I mean, if you like it, I would tease it down to half because I assume it probably won't won't stay at six and a half forever. But definitely keep an eye on that. I wanted to lay out the playoff picture. But now let's talk about how we got here. And we've got to start with the one game that everyone was talking about because we had this fun fairy tale story that if the Colts lose, but they won't. They're laying 15 they against couldn't. the Jags. They a chance. couldn't. And then it comes down to the night game, the Chargers Raiders, if they tie, there was this whole storyline surrounding the fact that if the Colts lost to the Jags, and guess what? They did. They're out of the playoffs. Man, they did just that. They lost, not only lost Joe, they lost 26 to 11. Carson Wentz. My Lord, awful. And on the other side, Trevor Lawrence had one of his best games in terms of passer rating and completion. He had his first game with multiple touchdowns since week one. Well, Carson Wentz went 17 for 29, 185 yards, sacked six times with two turnovers. My Lord. And the offense in general was just stalled. Jonathan Taylor held to 77 yards, which for him, as we know, is low. The Colts finished overall with 233 total yards, the lowest since a game in December of 2019. And who did that? <laughs> no other but the Jags. I, this, this game kind of sums up what I've been saying this whole time is that I can't trust any team, specifically this Colts team. You and I have been talking about Carson Wentz. So does this mean they, were, they got lucky against the Patriots or the Jags a bigger threat than we thought? I don't know what to make of this game. It's embarrassing. Um, I would disagree with you. I would say that we could trust the Colts. They went on a run of beating the Bills handily in Buffalo. They beat the Cardinals handily with their whole roster on the COVID list in Arizona. They beat the Patriots fairly handily. This, this, this performance is inexcusable, and I don't think you have to go looking for reasons how and why he could have gotten there. Carson Wentz laid an absolute egg. The defense laid an absolute egg in a spot where you just couldn't do it. They were down 26 to three. Fans in that stadium were wearing clown masks and t-shirts mocking the owner of their own team. And they won. 
That's like saying, hey, you have to, you know, to make the playoffs, this D1 basketball team to, you know, to make the, the, the national, to make the March Madness tournament, they got to beat the, the D3 team and you couldn't do it. I mean, it's shameful from them. Trevor Lawrence looked tremendous, 223 yards, two touchdowns. What's crazy is his first game with multiple touchdown passes since week one. But you did see some flashes where you're like, oh, that's why that dude went number one overall. But I don't think we're all grateful as, as sports fans that aren't Colts fans that we got to enjoy the rest of the day because this domino fell. But it's an inexplicable domino nonetheless. But it led to everything else we're about to talk about. Yes, and I, I have to mention, because every time we see uh, some fun parlays with WinBet, we talk about it. And this one specifically, because this guy, a player in New Jersey, had a two-leg parlay. He had so much confidence when everyone else was on the Colts here. He had Jags money line. And then for the Chargers Raiders to end as a tie in regulation, which was smart because a lot of people bet on the game to end in a tie. This guy did it in regulation. Risked 1,000 and won 116,000. If you have that much faith in the Jags to lay a thousand on the money line, I mean, hey, pay it off. Good for that guy. That's not, and that's not even the most obscure part of that two team or two right. leg parlay. And and we'll get to that that Chargers Raiders game. But first, let's talk uh, the Steelers because the thing is, even though the Colts lost that game, they could have still made the playoffs if the Steelers and Raiders both lost and the Dolphins won. But the Steelers crushed that dream. They were getting three and a half as dogs. They won it in an overtime win against the Ravens, 16 to 13. So let's not act like this was a great game. It was an ugly game for both teams. Steelers games always are. Hopefully you took the under. Uh, not a high scoring affair. 15 punts between the two teams. Huntley averaged four and a half yards of pass. Big Ben just a yard more. TJ Watt, you know, it was a good game for him. He tied Michael Strahan's single season sack record with 22 and a half, but other than that, this was a game I didn't care for much going into it, didn't care for much watching it. But not a great game for the book because they had 90% of the win bet money line handle on Steelers. I assume it wasn't that way in most other books, but it was um, for win bet. I was surprised that many people had faith in Big Ben. I don't, but apparently he's not going to go out without a fight. <laughs> What's, again... This game doesn't mean anything unless the Colts lose. So then the, the Colts lose, and all of a sudden, all of our attention turns to this game where the Steelers miraculously force overtime. Then they get a stop, and all of a sudden, it seems now, oh, this game is destined for a tie in which both teams would be eliminated. And Big Ben conjuring up some final late-game magic, a third and nine converted to Deontay Johnson. Then an ensuing fourth and eight. They don't get this. Their season is over because it's either a tie or Baltimore goes and scores and they win it. And, and Ben Roethlisberger, it was like a, like a shot put because he can't throw the football at all anymore and his arm is so dead. To Ray Ray McLeod that he like shoestring catches because it, it was inexplicably ugly, the whole <laughs> thing. And yet somehow Ray Ray McLeod's wide open at the sticks over the middle of the field. They convert. Chris Boswell ends up making the 36-yard field goal, and the Steelers win. And now passing, they got the Chiefs. Passing so. over eight and a half, <laughs> making the playoffs. But then they were, oh my, they, we got keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going uh, I mean, down but, the list. But, but we will see. I think they will see their fate against the Chiefs, and that's a reason why they the have, Chiefs no are way. laying 13. Makes a lot of sense. Good for you, Big Ben. 
opposite case in terms of faith. I am increasingly believing more in the 49ers. And I know you were on them last week, Joe. I tailed you here. They were getting three and a half. They get a win on the road against the Rams to clinch postseason berth. That win, final score, 27 to 24. The Rams led 17-0 midway through the second. Then they got shut out in the third, put up seven in the fourth, and went scoreless in overtime when it mattered most. While the Rams were struggling to get their offense going, Debo Samuel was having a day. He rushed for a tutty, threw a tutty, and still had four catches for 95 yards receiving on top of 45 yards on the ground. Should the league be afraid of him and the Steiners team? They should. This is another insane game. The Rams were up 17 to nothing. Then the Niners tie it up, and they're driving. This was a peak Jimmy G game where you get all of the good and all of the bad. The full spectrum of the Jimmy Garoppolo experience where he had two picks. The one in the end zone uh, in the fourth quarter was horrific. He's like high and eight yards behind George Kittle, who's like being triple covered. And, and you have to get points there, and they don't. And the, and the Rams march down the field and score on a Cooper Cup four-yard pass from Matthew Stafford, which was an insane route. Nine play, 92-yard drive. The Niners are out of timeouts, and they've got about a minute 30 to go and drive the entire field. And somehow, some way, Jimmy Garoppolo engineers a five-play, 88-yard touchdown drive that takes up just one minute and one second off the clock. Debo Samuel, a monster 43-yard uh, touchdown catch on that drive. It's capped by Juwan Jennings in a 14-yard uh, catch. Then you go to overtime, and the Niners get a stop. And then they're driving. They get the ball first, go and kick the field goal. Also, Kyle Juszczyk holding for them this game because punter Mitch Wisnowski gets hurt. So that's clutch. They've got a backup holder in there. So cool hands Juszczyk uh, was a stud all game long. Um, they kick a field goal. And they're content with a tie. They end up getting a stop, winning outright. The money line cashes. It was uh, plus 170, I believe, plus 140. Uh, whatever it was, it cashed. Uh, Niners cash uh, the minus third of plus three, three, three and a half, plus four and a half, wherever you got it. Uh, and I, I, think, I do think you need to be scared of them going into the postseason. I think they can beat the Cowboys. I will be on San Francisco in wildcard weekend because they defend, they run the football, they've got dynamic skill players who, you know, you get them in space. And they're able to create for themselves. Brandon Ayuk has really come on of late. He had six catches for a buck uh, seven um, in this game. They're a damn good football team. And erasing a 17-point deficit in a must-win game was super impressive. I agree. And to get them with the points, uh, as hot as I have been on the Cowboys, I agree. I think it's hard not to take the Niners with the points. Either way, they both move on. You know, the Rams will play the Cardinals on Monday. And like we said, the Niners will play the Cowboys. So interested to see how those two teams play out. But Joe, let's get to the game that really just spiked my blood pressure. We waited all day. We just talked about it. The Colts game was the big one leading up to this. They could have tied, but they didn't. Instead, and your girl was on the Chargers minus three in case you forgot. The Raiders won in overtime. The tie fairy tale ending. No, it didn't happen. I didn't think it would. Instead, Daniel Carlson decided to ruin my night with two seconds left in overtime in the game-winning field goal. And Joe and I talked about this before the show. Is he the clutchest player 
in football right now? Is he the Tom Brady of kickers? I mean, kind of has to be. He's been nails. My Lord. Field Yates tweeted, and I just want to mention this quickly because when I read it, I was like, what? Field Yates tweeted, he went nine for nine on lead changing field goal attempts with less than two minutes to go in the fourth or in overtime this season. The most in a single season in NFL history. It was huge. And I have to say, when they all celebrated after, I was a little happy for him, but not for me because I sweat this one out and I thought it was going in my favor. It wasn't. But fun game overall. Almost 800 yards of total offense here. Bottom line, I guess you could say Chargers got in their own way. They had 10 penalties for 108 yards. But Justin Herbert is still my king. He's so good. He's so good. There are a lot of layers to this. We could spend an entire half hour or hour talking about this game alone. To me, I couldn't get over the fact that we were watching this game play out. And because the Steelers won, because the Jaguars won, Big Ben is in the playoffs unless this game ends in a tie and this being his potential last season, we all expect it to be his last season. He did the whole farewell tour on Monday night in week 17 at Heinz Field. A tie in this game would have ended his career. And how bizarre that would have been. I've never experienced watching a sporting event with these sort of implications and the way it played out. And it was like this long con of ties that the route in which it even got to overtime was so inexplicable and getting to overtime where the Chargers just have to stop Josh Jacobs twice. The whole world knows Josh Jacobs is getting the football and the Chargers couldn't stop it. They deserved to lose. I'm glad the Raiders kicked the field goal. And of course they did. Once they got into position, they got their asses hammered by the Chiefs both times they played them this year. Of course they don't want to go to Kansas City wildcard weekend. Now, they might not fare much better in Cincinnati, but still, it's a better fate than, than for them than going to Kansas City. Um, the Chargers, outside of Justin Herbert, should be embarrassed. Brandon Staley, I'm about as much on team never kick as you could possibly be, and I still can't understand the justification of going for it on fourth and two inside your own 25-yard line and spotting a Raiders offense that, yes, was running the football okay, but Derek Carr only had 186 passing yards. Their secondary wasn't getting carved up. They were basically uh, cost a touchdown because of an inexplicably terrible pass interference penalty on that Hail Mary that was apparently the, the uncatchable pass rule doesn't mean anything anymore. That's that, that part, that clause of pass interference is out the window. We don't judge that anymore. So the Raiders got given a touchdown at the end of the first half. Point being, I don't get that decision from from Brandon Staley. Justin Herbert was ridiculous. The fact that they even get there, they had to convert a fourth and 21. And that was the play that, that Josh Palmer scored on a 23-yard touchdown pass. Um, and then they get the two-point conversion. And then they score in the final play of regulation to Mike Williams. It was bonkers. They were, I mean, they converted fourth and 21, fourth and 10, fourth and 10, fourth and 10. I mean, insanity. It was insanity. And you mentioned outside of Justin Herbert, a poor game for them. It's not going to be the same case for the Raiders now going up against the Bengals because that is one of the more complete offenses that they'll have to face. So I will likely be on the Bengals in that situation as the Raiders move on. I want to talk college football. I just wish we had like a live cam on Ben Roethlisberger. And like the <laughs> entire city of Pittsburgh. I mean, just like just yeah. tight butts everywhere. Like watching that game and just think like if Daniel Carlson... Misses that field goal. The Chargers get 
a single run stop. It's a tie. That's it. Your season's over. Yep. Yeah. The emotional roller coaster of that. Oh, I should have live streamed me watching. I, my neighbors hate me. I was screaming every five seconds. And I was delayed too, so I had to At stay off At least your Twitter. Chargers minus three was a loser regardless. Well, no, when it went into overtime. It, but I mean like when the, on that Raiders drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like at that Still, point, that whether it was a tie, the Raiders kicked right. the field goals irrelevant to you. Yes. Exciting game nonetheless. Right? It was an insane Congratulations, game. Congratulations, Raiders. I want to move on to the big game tonight, Bama, Georgia. But before we give our takes on who we think will be the national champion in college football, let's bring in a sports gambling legend. He is known as Mattress Mac, the owner of Gallery Furniture. Mac, thanks for joining us. Glad to be on the show. Very excited about uh, the big game tonight. And very excited to be on your show. We are happy to have you. So the world knows you as Mattress Mac, of course, from your gambling mattress promos. However, I want to know, when you first got into the gambling space, do you remember the first bet you ever placed? Oh, that was way back when I was in high school. I used to play poker with all my friends. So that's got, got me started in gambling. And then I bet on the Rose Bowl in 2005. Vince Young against uh, Southern Cal, and that was a big win for me. So those two things stand out of what got me involved in this space. And Mac, you really are a betting legend now. Did you ever think that would happen? What do you think when you hear that? No, I didn't think it would um, uh, grow like it has. You know, it's all centered around the promotions for the furniture for the customers, but certainly the uh, hedging through the sports betting like Great people win sports and certainly help me out, lay off all this risk. Uh, what is the process uh, when you're going through handicapping these games, deciding where to place your big bets? I know they're tied to promos in terms of, of giving money back to your customers, but uh, you look at this game, Alabama, you mentioned maybe the, the best national championship of all time. Uh, that was Texas USC many moons ago. This one should be spectacular as well. You went with Alabama. Why'd you decide to, to line up with the Crimson Tide on this one? Well, I had no interest in running a promotion on this national championship game until I saw the fact that Alabama was two and a half, three points underdog. I think Alabama has a very high perceived value in the minds of the customers because of their tremendous history and legacy and Nick Saban, et cetera. So uh, last Saturday, I decided to do the promotion and started started running with it. And uh, it's certainly been very popular because Alabama has such a great name brand and uh, it's created a lot of excitement with the customers, even though they're underdogs, the customers feel like they have a real chance to win the game, which I certainly am on their side. I hope the customers win. I hope I win and cover all these hedge bets, and then everybody's happy. So should be a great game. Obviously, Georgia has a wonderful team, as does Alabama, so we'll see what happens tonight. But I feel like I got the, uh, the customers and uh, have the best of it. So you've been doing these promos. It started with the Astros playoff run and, and World Series run a couple of years ago, where the Astros won the World Series. You were you were comping uh, receipts that customers had. You're doing the same thing here with this promo. It started last Saturday, so it's been up for more than a week. I, I'm curious where where is your liability here in terms of of how many mattresses you're going to be on the hook for if Alabama wins? Uh, is it is it a break even situation to where you're, you're getting all the the action you can on Bama, and then you're still keeping a little bit for yourself out? How is this work and how does it normally work just in terms of where the liability ends up for you? Yeah, you know, we have about $7 million liability on uh, Alabama right now. If they win the game, we'll give them mattresses back. So uh, I have uh, covered that much in sports betting at Wynn and some other places. So if Alabama wins and I get the uh, 
money line plus 120 plus 115 plus 130 back so it's it's a good promotion on that but i'm getting a positive money line on the number one team in the country which doesn't happen very often it does feel lucky to get the points with Saban, and i'm actually with you i didn't buy a mattress yet but i am on bama tonight but i want to shift gears to the nfl a little bit you had the bucks last year to win the super bowl you have my team the patriots to win it this year you got them at 23 to 1 how are you feeling about that bet right now yeah, I like the Patriots. I, I certainly like the coach. I like uh, the entire organization. I got 23 to 1 at $2 million, so it pays $46 million. Obviously, they're a tremendous long shot right now, but they're in the uh, tournament, and uh, if they beat Buffalo next Saturday night, then the game's certainly on. Hey, Mac, I know you're an Astros fan. Um, I have to ask you, it's not baseball season yet. I'm a tortured Mariners fan. You think it'd be all right, maybe if this year you gave the division to, to us for a change? No, uh, we're gonna keep winning because we got great players. We got a great honor and a great city behind us. The Astros are a fantastic producer, and our other two teams, Texans and Rockets, are having a rough go right now. So we're riding the Astros. They've been in the uh, ALCS what five out of the last six years, and hopefully they'll be back in the World Series this year. So we got uh -huh. Verlander coming back, and uh, lots of great players in the Astros. So. I, I like the Mariners, but I think it's still the Astros' time. Uh, I appreciate you giving me that at least at the very end. It was worth asking. Uh, it's been a dark days Absolutely. for about two decades as a Mariners fan. But, yeah, uh, and I was going to say, as a Sox fan, I can't back that, but at least you're on my side with football, so so I'll take it. Uh, Mattress Mac, the legendary sports gambling uh, legend, and of course, the owner of Gallery Furniture. Mac, good luck to you, and good luck to me and the rest of the folks on Bama tonight. Good luck to everybody on Bama, and... Uh, Georgia has a great team as well. Hopefully it'll be a great game. Everybody will enjoy it. And uh, good luck to the Patriots. All the other NFL team in the playoffs should be an exciting uh, run up to February 13th, whenever that game is. And thanks for having me on. Thanks to people at WinBet for taking a big million dollar bet last night that helped me out. And uh, roll tide. Roll tide. <laughs> thanks, Mac. Thanks, guys. Joe, we've had a lot of awesome interviews and guests on the show. But I have to say that I was a little starstruck there. You see him everywhere and it's almost like he's this mythical creature. And now he comes on here and it's almost sweet how he's like, well, I hope Bama wins, but I hope, you know, Georgia's a great team too. <laughs> I just want everyone to have a good time. <laughs> everyone Although, just have fun. <laughs> but it, I mean, he's brilliant and I'm not taking away from the money he's laying down in these bets, but like the sweat is different when it's just an insurance policy True. to the promo you ran at your store. Yeah. He is... One of the best marketing minds that I've come across yep. in the last however many years. That's why we call him a legend. I mean, this guy <laughs> opened a mattress store. I mean, I was reading his bio down to his last dollar, so to speak. Spends it on a commercial. Catches fire. His stores take off. Starts this promo with the Astros World Series run. And now it's become where, I mean, he's getting comp tickets places. He's getting... I mean, oh, he's, he's living he's, the life. He's li <laughs> Kudos to you, Mattress Mac. Living because that's life. what he said. He said he's got, like, what, seven and a half million in liability on Alabama, but it's all covered by mm -hmm. mattresses that he sold. Yeah. So really, it's the, a win-win. It's a win for him. It's a win for the people of Houston who have potentially gotten a free mattress. It is a win-win. And as win. I, can, I can attest, mattresses ain't cheap. I just bought one. I know. I should I should have waited. You should have gone one. to Houston and bought one from Damn Mac. It. Damn it. <laughs> uh, we will give our takes on tonight's game. But before we get to that, I want to talk a promo because we have an awesome one going on right now. For every build your own bet parlay, Joe and I give out several throughout the week. 
$20 or more, it can win, it can lose, it can push. It don't matter now through January 17th. So you got a week, people. You'll receive an entry to win multiple prize packages, including a trip to Shaq's Funhouse in Los Angeles and a trip here to the beautiful Win Las Vegas for big game weekend in February. Go to winbet.com or check out the WinBet app. And there he is. I really do love this promo. It's pretty colors. <laughs> I love it. Even though the Shaq picture is still a little creepy to me. But anyways, on to winning picks we go. We'll just glance over the fact that Joe and I are both 0-2. But you know what? <laughs> Sprinting out of the gates here in 2022. <laughs> but we are still winning. And I want to remind everyone, winning picks, yes, technically it's our best bet. But Joe and I are still winning our plays. So check out our Twitters. And, you know, if you listen to our plays on the show, hopefully we are winning you some money. Winning picks haven't gone great so far, but we'll move on. Tonight, big game. The college football will officially come to an end on Monday, tonight with a national champion crowned Georgia laying three against Bama. The totals 52. A reminder, Bama won this matchup 41-24 back in December for the SEC championship game. They were also a dog in that game. And Joe... I have to admit, I felt silly at the time not taking Nick Saban with points. And to see this situation again, I don't think I can make that mistake. I just don't think I can do it. So I'm going to take the points with Bama here. I will also mention that Saban is 25 and 1. I'm not, I know I'm not huge on trends, but he is 25 and 1 against former assistants, which Kirby Smart is. I'm going to take that into consideration here. As we know, Georgia's defense is what wins them games. And I love them against Michigan, but that was because Michigan didn't have a Heisman quarterback. Alabama does in Bryce Young, and they have one of the best passing offenses in college. And that is how they beat Georgia the first time. I see them doing that again here. Not only, though, did Bama have an edge on offense in that game, their defense outplayed Georgia's defense, which is their edge in that game. On the season, Georgia averaged 195 rushing a game. They put up just under 110 against Bama. They couldn't really get their run game going. And I think Saban's going to come in with a similar game plan. He's going to force Stetson Bennett to throw the ball to win this game for Georgia. And I know I gassed him up against Michigan, and that's because he does have sports where he looks good. He is pretty accurate. But he would need a perfect game to compete with Bryce Young. I don't see that happening. I'm convinced that no matter which side I take here, I'm going to be on the wrong side. I wouldn't advise anyone make their bet based on what I'm about to say. I'm going to take Alabama money line at plus 115. I think it's going to be a coin flip of a game, so may as well get the plus money. I have so many conflicting opinions because it was Georgia's worst day. And I think overreacting that would be unwise. They are a damn good team. I think Stetson Bennett will be better. I think they will get more pressure on Bryce Young. I think they will be more exotic in the looks that they give him up front, whether it's the mixture of blitzes and pressures. But Nick Saban is the boogeyman. He is the boogeyman in the same way that Bill Belichick is the boogeyman, where we talk about you don't give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for you. Nick Saban's had a month to get ready for this game since the last time they played. And for me... I would just rather err on the side of Nick Saban. Now, joining the rest of the public where 78% of the win bet uh, against the spread handle and 85% of the money line handle is on Bama, I'd rather be on the side of the book. But my desire to be on Nick Saban's side in this game 
um, supersedes that, which is why I'm going to take Alabama, the money line at plus 115 and ride the wave with the rest of the public. My only thing is everyone keeps saying that was Georgia's worst game, but that's because they hadn't faced anyone like Alabama yet. So like, yeah, it was their worst game because they weren't used to that competition. And they, might be they, right. they can change the game plan a little, but I still, I mean, we're on the same side. So I guess there's not too much argument there, but that's the only thing when. It just seems like it's too, it's too easy to take Alabama. It's like, I know. Because the it line has it moved. Size. The yeah. line hasn't yeah. moved really. It moved from minus three to minus two and a half, yeah. even though everyone's on Bama. I will mention Georgia had the ball more. They had more plays, less penalties, and they still lost that game. So. Hey, you're making me feel better. Good. Still even more. That, that's my job. Yeah, money that's line my, plus that's 115. My I think I'm going to sprinkle a little on the money line too, uh, as I do when I take any dogs against the spread. All right, Joe, we packed a lot into that show. We did good. I, this Tonight's going to be fun. And I can't wait for Thursday to preview wildcard weekend. I cannot wait either. Good luck to all of you. Uh, regardless of what side you're on, hopefully everyone has fun like Mattress Max said. <laughs> we'll catch you guys on Thursday.